Welcome to the See You Next Summer podcast. I'm your host, Billy Pollahan, and with me as always is the Annie Wilkes to my Paul Sheldon, Mr. Raul Rodriguez. How are you, buddy? I'm your number one fan. <laughs> yes. Oh, we're doing a big one. Can I believe it took us so long to do Stephen King? Oh, ah, good old Stephen King. Oh, take a shot every time that someone is drunk in Maine. It's a writer. We have problems with alcohol or drugs. I wear ominous presence, and it so quickly resolves in a really weird way. Bullies. Bullies. 50s, 50s nostalgia. 50s nostalgia. Criticisms against religion. Mm-hmm. And... A lot of cats. There's a lot of cats in different <laughs> stories. There, there are a lot of cats. Yeah. And anything involving... Uh, thrillers, mm-hmm. or j- just the amount of thrillers he has made. And it's interesting that the first Stephen King movie that we're going to do is a meta story, technically. Yeah, I feel like this is just one of his, this is probably his, every author's worst nightmare. Mm-hmm. And he was just like, I'm just going to write a story about that. Because I write like 50 stories a year, so might as well. And it reminds me of that bit from Family Guy that never gets sold. That he's at the publishing house is like a, and my next book is uh, an evil lamb. Who? Ah, ooh, ah, and the publisher, where can I get it? <laughs> You're not even trying anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they did a misery parody in Family Guy as well. That That's was also true. very good. Um, but yes, it's it concerns a writer played by the late James Kahn mm-hmm. named Paul Sheldon. He has a very popular character named Misery Chastain. And he's going to kill her off because he wants to write other stuff. And he ends up in a car crash and is in the care of this seemingly nice nurse, Annie Wilkes, played by Kathy Bates, who won the Academy Award for Best Actress. And she deserved that award. It's only her and Jodie Foster winning for a thriller. Yeah, it's only like those two and it's impressive of how it is something about horror, even though like this movie is more like a thriller too as well, because it also I love it because it feels like you're watching a play because it's only these two characters and we caught like every 10 minutes to catch on on the sheriff and the agent, but they're not even that important of a characters because we follow this play of two characters and it's amazing. But not only that, I remember the first time I saw Misery, I think I was like maybe 11 or 12. And my parents, like, set me up to get ready for this movie. And I have seen already some Stephen King movies before. I I saw Dreamcatcher, uh, the the It miniseries. I think I saw... Fortino, it was not out yet. I think I saw the original uh, Pet Cemetery and Cujo. So There's I, so I, much Stephen King material. It was very hard to pick. Oh, and also um, Tenor. Tenor is one of the first Stephen King movies I ever saw. Interesting introduction for Stephen King that my mother showed me, and also saw Carrie, too. But then to see Misery, and I remember when she told me, this is a Stephen King movie, too, and I'm like, that feels different compared to other Stephen Kings because I still haven't seen Stand By Me before seeing Misery. So for me, the perception of Stephen King is like something horror-motivated. It's like a creature like aliens in Dreamcatcher or like uh, the Pet cemetery thing or all of that stuff. And oh, I'm yeah. Like, and another thing about Stephen King, his endings are often criticized. Yes. Because they can either go really well or they are really bad. I mean, mm-hmm. just really bad. I didn't know about the internet that hated Dreamcatcher that much until I knew why people hate Dreamcatcher so much. I still like Dreamcatcher, but I haven't seen this since I was a teenager. So maybe we'll change my perception of it. We might cover a few of these movies for this month because, Mm -hmm. I mean, it is Stephen King, technically Stephen King horror, but really Mm -hmm. it's just Stephen King. We just wanted to talk about him and we wanted to keep up the spooky season vibe. Mm -hmm. So he is a genre on to himself. It's really quite amazing that not only does he have so many stories that were turned into movies, um, TV shows, Mm -hmm. I don't know if he has any video games. That would be interesting. 
but he I'm even sure his movies power video game that's like a good premise for a video game though yeah and even the movies that were made are getting remade mm-hmm. that pet cemetery remake was bad <laughs> I, I saw but that. it's amazing because no other author yeah. has ever had this much success it's mm-hmm. really quite astounding you cannot fault the guy yeah and like he's, a, he's almost 80 he's still crushing it I went through Barnes and Noble and I read like the back of a new novel that he wrote. I think it was called Fantasy or something. I forgot the title. And I'm like, it's an interesting story. And I'm like, maybe next time I'll buy it because it said $25. And I'm like, this is too expensive. But Stephen King is still writing and he wrote that during the pandemic. And, and that's the most interesting about Stephen King. Like, uh, I'm pretty sure he just starts printing a, a novel and immediately there's a studio was like, can we get that? Like uh, immediately they, they adapt everything for Stephen King. He's a he's a fucking golden goose. So he I really just, is the golden goose. Of he's the golden goose of authors. Hollywood. Like even right now we're getting an it prequel TV show that I'm pretty sure it's gonna go up based from the novels, and I'm pretty sure they're not gonna ask Stephen King for nothing. But because the character he created it, he's still gonna get the money. And a lot of his adaptations are also really really good. Mm-hmm. Didn't the Dark Tower was like eight or nine novels or something? It was the that problem was with that that, that whole that whole production that whole movie is oh, a documentary. I saw that on opening weekend, uh, that movie's it's a documentary in and of itself, mm-hmm. and we we're not going to talk about that. Just going to spoil it right now. Maybe but season, we yeah. are going to talk about Misery, which Misery, a lot of people. That's what you have chosen. I hate you. <laughs> you know, you know that life for Spider-Man makes sense here. No, I, I know. I friendship and you spit on my face. Annie would have said that. Oh, God. Yes, <laughs> she would have. <laughs> but this is considered one of his best works, and Stephen King himself cites it as one of his favorite mm-hmm. of his adaptations. It's what you call a great adaptation. And he directed- chose Rob Reiner to adapt it. He didn't yes. want anyone else to do it. Because Rob Reiner was at the top of his game. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at his filmography and he adds a level of like humor to it mm-hmm. that this movie really needed because it is, for the most part, a very good psychological or it's just a very good uh, thriller in general. Mm-hmm. It's definitely more horror. But uh, it's yeah, it's a, it's a psychological thriller, I would say. There's a lot of gaslighting. There's a lot of abuse, and it's terrifying. Yeah, and also because you know that this movie, and especially the book, is the inspiration of so many thrillers we have seen in the last three years that is both in cabins, like the Veser or the Lodge, or try like this, like the horrible horror that you're trapping. I wouldn't say in, you cannot um, get away. I wouldn't say inspires it more so, just popularized it. Popularized. That too, though. Because this movie was a big hit when it came out. Mm-hmm. Opening weekend, it did. It was in second place, but that was only because Home Alone was still in theaters. It was still number one mm-hmm. at that time. It, because Home Alone was like the big movie of that year. Mm-hmm. And this was the one where it still made a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But it was more for the adults. Mm-hmm. And... Yes, we start with uh, James Caan. Uh, mm-hmm. He plays Paul Sheldon. Um, oh, yeah, and Misery is also, um, it's a romance novel it's as well. So, Oh, God, the covers as well. The covers are amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but he's, he's writing his latest book, and he pops open the Dom Perignon. Mm-hmm. You know, he's one of those guys. Yeah. And... He's out in his, of course, cabin in the woods mm-hmm. that he owns because he's incredibly successful. And he's just driving down the road. It's very light. It's during the winter as well. Mm-hmm. So it's it could this movie could also be literal cabin fever. Mm-hmm. And he ends up driving too fast because when you're driving in the snow, the road mm-hmm. conditions are not ideal. And he ends up wrecking pretty badly and he ends up upside down and then we see a quick flash to before talking with his agent who is um Lauren Bacall, right? 
Yep, Marsha, who is played by legendary actress Lauren Bacall. And she's just like, I don't think you should kill Misery because Misery basically made your career. And he's like, look, if I don't do it now, I'm never going to be able to do it. Uh, I'm never going to be able to do it for the rest of my life. So I want to just move on to other stuff, right? That's a typical thing for creators. They don't want to be stuck doing the same thing over and over again. Well, most of them don't anyway. And then we just see somebody with a crowbar open up the car door and drag him out. And he's in pretty rough shape, too. Like, he's bruised everywhere. He's got cuts. And we learn especially his legs. That's a big thing in this movie is his legs go through so much. The infamous scene. character, technically. (laughs) Oh, they are. And they have the most infamous scene in this movie. It's a very hard it's scene to watch. Part of cinema history. It is. And mm-hmm. it's, yeah, again, it's incredibly hard to watch. And it's but, so quick, though. But it hurts so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but also I love, if you think about it, everything that happens in the plot, Annie got a good struggle luck to make her whole plan to work. Yeah. Even though she luck. didn't calculate. That's what I'm Quote, saying. Quote, unquote. Luck. We cannot say, like, we cannot say, like, Stewie from Family Guy that she fucked up with the weather to make it snow for him to get an accident. That would be too much. But Annie technically carries the the author back to the to the cabin to Paul Sheldon, and I love that her first line is like, "I'm your number one fan. I brought you to help. I'm your number one fan," and I'm like, um. It's an interesting way of opening a guy that he just woke up from from an accident and was like, oh, yeah, I'm your number one fan and I save you. So you owe me. Because this is the other thing about Annie. She's so fucking possessive. And also shows the commentary about Annie Wilkins. In 1992, when this was made, 1990, 1992? 1990. 1990. 32 years. This I'm one year older than this movie. 32 years, and it's also how how sometimes fandom can be so possessive to as well. Because Annie has, and this is also thing about Stephen King is commenting. How can you, how would you react if you're trapped with your worst kind of fan? Because Oh my we, gosh, yeah. And it's, talk about it's this. horrifying. Not all fandom are bad and horrible. But we have seen through our experiences, both of us, we know about some fucked up fans. And Annie represents the most whoa. Like if they remake Misery, I hope they don't. I just wonder who will it be the character. <laughs> I don't think they will. And what's amazing about this is the novel that it's based off of <laughs> came out three years prior. So they didn't waste any time <laughs> adapting it. That's some That's- fast tracking that's very fast and so annie is just like we live in the era nostalgia and fucking reboot so don't it could happen. don't even say it just let me let me continue mm-hmm. and so she's just she appears very nice and it's just like oh yeah i saved you i'm sorry um but the phone lines are dead it's the blizzard and he's just like i didn't know there was a blizzard she's just like oh it's fine um i'll get you to call your agent and your daughter as soon as possible. But uh, until then you could stay here and just recover. And she's feeding him, you know, painkillers and soup and all that stuff. But you can feel like there's an era of, or an, a, an air of uncomfortable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Aura of uncomfortableness. Like, you know, he's not entirely okay Mm -hmm. with that. He can tell that there's something, up with her and and we know that he has his legs both of them are fractured oh yeah and it's it's not fun to look at and Mm -hmm. then she's just like oh okay like um i just noticed in your bag which Mm -hmm. um he has this big brown uh satchel it's kind of it's kind of like you can fit a laptop in there but he uh fits his manuscript it the... looks like a mailman kind of like carrying case. One of those yes. old ones from the 20s. 
Yes, and we know that through line of dialogue with uh, the flashback with Lauren Bacall that he it was he had it when he was a struggling author, mm-hmm. and he wants to do that to close that chapter. Mm-hmm. But uh, she's just like, "Oh, can I read it?" And he's just like, "Yeah, sure, why not?" And so you know he's recovering, and we get a lot of time in this room. Mm-hmm. It's a very plain room. It's not very big. Just one bed. Just one bed. And a lot of it falls on James Kahn and Ka- especially Kathy Bates' performances. Also, it's another thinking movie where the whole plot involves a bed, like Gerald's uh, Game. <laughs> like that Netflix movie, really good movie. I don't know what his thing is with beds, but... <laughs> oh, yeah, he also has a dislocated shoulder as well, so that's why his arm mm-hmm. is in a sling. Yeah, like I said, he gets he's in really bad shape. So, yeah, he has to stay there because that is his best option. He can't. He even asks, "Why can't I go to the hospital?" And she's like, "Oh, the roads are not good to do that. The roads in to and from town are fine, but that's really it." But we also don't know if she's lying. That's what's cool about that. That's what a good psychological thriller is because you're always second guessing yourself. You you don't have a reliable person because annie is a very unreliable um narrator na- yeah just character really yeah but uh, but also technically i love how she also gets his position of how she is because she immediately she says oh i know that you always go to the silver creek lodge to always finish your novels and i like i know that you like don Perignon, but it's weird that you didn't check on the weather and many times because i'm your number one fan I always go outside of the lodge trying to stalk you and see your brilliant, your brilliantness, or how you're so brilliant. And it's weird that someone like you, you didn't know about the storm. And I'm like, hmm. And then she's like, I have read all of your books and I'm so excited because she hasn't read the last book yet because it hasn't been published yet at this time of the accident. So the thing that Paul Sheldon has in his um, backpack, technically, in his in his um he has the other novel that is not related to misery and so and then he was like a oh like uh he she says like a oh how i like how i like to come up with a title and i was like you can get you can come up with the title that you read the, the thing that you're reading and i have no misery for so long and sometimes i don't have the idea for a title I was like, oh my God, that would be so honor. I would love you, Paul. I love your creativity. But then as we're following the movie, she goes into town and she buys the latest mystery novel. And she's reading into it. I was like, oh my God, I'm so excited to read it. And as she's also like giving him food and everything, she's reading the novel. But then one night she's fucking pissed because she gets to the ending that misery dies in childbirth. And Paul is like, uh, 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 Annie, a lot of people in the 1800s died. A woman died in childbirth. That happened often. But you cannot kill misery this way. Misery doesn't deserve to, to oh, die this she, way. She <laughs> has to play that line of sweet and crazy. <laughs> And switch on a dime without it feeling ridiculous or like being too over the top. Mm-hmm. That is not an easy thing to do for an actor. And Kathy Bates does a great job with that. Oh, yes. Also, one of the random things, she has a pet pig or sow named yeah. Misery. And he's just like, uh, okay. Paul is very much rational and acts like anybody would in this situation. I appreciate that. Also because he cannot do anything technically. Because yeah, he's... Capacity. He is helpless. He's technically a vegetable trapping a bed. Yeah, and she grabs uh, the piece of furniture and breaks it right next to him. And it shows... Out of fan uh, outrage. Because her favorite character just died. Yeah, and he's just like, look, I want to move on to other stuff. I'm sorry. She's just like, no, you are going to bring her back. And Mm -hmm. you're not going anywhere until this happens. So now you are my prisoner, essentially. 
You're obligated to reckon your own ending. <laughs> oh my god, is Oh, and then after that, um he sees the hairpin. Mm-hmm. And he grabs it. And this is a thing that we're gonna follow that hairpin a lot, but also we know in exposition that she loves the misery novel so much because when her husband left her, the only reconciliation that she found in life was reading the misery novels. That's why she's so attached to the character. Yeah, but there's also like a difference between attachment and then just taking it too far, acting mm -hmm. like they are real. And you can't stay stuck in the past. It'll kill you. You just can't. That so, seems yeah. to be a theme in this movie as well. Is What? Say that line. No, I'm not. And I'm no. Fuck you. <laughs> fuck you. You say it. I'm done saying it. Okay, <laughs> go on. Because you know, I look forward to the future. Unlike some people here, <laughs> and what future? Yeah, and he's just like, oh, I need some new paper because he has to literally type it out on a typewriter, mm -hmm. which they had to do that back in the day. Oh, because yes, there were no computers. Mm-hmm. Or if there were computers, they would fill up an entire room. Mm -hmm. It's really unclear also when this movie takes place. It seems like it's... Like maybe 1986, maybe yeah, Around like the late 80s. Mm -hmm. and but, but it seems like it could still be set today. Mm -hmm. Like there's no big dated there's technology. No, there's no technology. That's the other thing that I like. Yeah, there's everyone's dressed pretty much like a small town, and it could still be made today, which I and like. Also, Annie admits that she never said to Paul, "I didn't call your agent or your daughter. No one knows that you're here. If you, if I die, you die. I'm the only yeah. one that knows that you're here." And also, this is so dark. I was like, I asked God what to do with you, and He told me that I show you the way. And and then she grabs his new book. So you have to must get rid of this of uh, this felt. And Paul was like, uh, every publisher is bidding on it. There's copies everywhere. This you're gonna waste this we getting rid of this copy. And then she immediately, using her fan knowledge, she's like, I know that you're bullshitting with me. This is the only copy. Every time that you finish a book, you finish it right exactly in the lodge. You take a cigarette because you quit the, you smoking and you take up a, a cup of Dom Perignon and then you only do one copy and then you put it directly to the printer because you don't want anyone to criticize you. Also, the fact that <clears throat> this became public knowledge is terrifying. I wouldn't want anybody... Or even if it's not how she found out, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. Like, she is so obsessed that she knows everything about him. And I mean, like, personal everything. details as well. And it's uncomfortable. It's just straight up stalking. Mm -hmm. And that's bad, even if it's not someone famous. But typically that happens to more famous people because they have bigger following and all that stuff. And I don't understand it. It's I, I never want to. I'm fine with just people making their shit. I don't need any, I don't need to know anything about their personal lives. But some people thrive off of it, unfortunately. Oh, Kardashians. and yeah, God, fuck the Kardashians. Yeah. Uh, so we also get the sheriff, mm -hmm. uh, Buster, played by this act, the late uh, Richard Farnsworth, who mm. he did this movie. Um, the straight story which is a david lynch movie that is the most un-david lynch movie ever and it's based mm -hmm. on a true story you will either think it's one of the most boring movies of all time or one of the it's definitely unique mm -hmm. I, I could talk about that but just look up the straight story and because it was a it was a real life event that happened mm -hmm. to this guy and uh, he's good as the sheriff because obviously Lauren Bacall calls the town and is just like, hey, have you heard from Paul? I haven't heard anything from him. And he's just like, oh, uh, everything seems fine here, but if we let anything happen 
or if if we get any updates, we will let you know. So the phones are working. That's the the other thing is that Annie is bullshitting him. Mm-hmm. And Annie obligates Paul to destroy that that only draft that he has of his new novel. Oh yes, she has a uh, barbecue uh, briquette or whatever, like a, like a pit, and she's just like do yeah, it barbecue fuel. Yeah, yeah, and he unwillingly does it. He mm-hmm. has to because he knows that he's powerless. And it goes up in smoke, and he—you can see on James Khan's face that he's, he's just like, he's like, I am in trouble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then oh, after- and uh, when she goes into the town to get different paper as well, because the current paper is smudging, she's mm-hmm. just like, oh, okay, fine. I guess I'm not good enough, and all that stuff, and is very clearly gaslighting him. Not only that, because she's like, uh, any other interesting requests that you want after i feed you i clean i do everything for you but i'll give you that paper are you gonna be satisfied mr man because she goes to supercom to fucking insane in less than 30 seconds and that's why kathy base won this academy award because oh and then she slams the current paper on his legs Mm -hmm. so obviously he's in a lot of pain and um he's becoming slowly addicted to painkillers right now Yes, and also I love that thing that she says randomly when she sets up his her new his new studio. I think winters are getting shorter every year. Has to do with the ozone layer, but it's a theory. I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> no, and it's then, uncomfortably relevant. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, uh, "You're gonna make your greatest achievement yet, Paul. Mystery's return." And it will be all in my honor. You're going to make it in my honor because I saved you and I brought you into good health. Yeah, that's the other thing is uh, that sense of entitlement. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, I deserve this because I love your work and appreciate it like nobody else. It's um, It's that me mentality that is just horrible and you see it everywhere you see a fandom (laughs) it's just any fandom in general i know but right now making it relevant (laughs) yeah but if you say so and then she goes to buy the paper she goes into town quite a few times as well and this is where paul is very much taking advantage of it paul uses the clip to get out and I love what he says, you wrote about this. You can do this. And he's trying to open the door. Wow, I cannot believe this work. <laughs> <laughs> like, again, there's a lot of small, humorous moments <laughs> that really land and are very much needed. You need, like, small moments of levity. It doesn't <laughs> compromise the tone either. Yeah, that's, the, that's a really perfect blend because then we... I love also how the music is rising up, but as he's going to the rooms, finding out clues or, or finding an exit, as we see Annie going into town and getting back to the house, and then she notices that he has kind of she has kind of like a shrine to him, a photo that he says best wishes with his autograph and all of the mystery novels, not only in paperback and also in hardcover. That's fucking dedication. Having them in both covers, I noticed that. And also, she goes, and Paul goes into the kitchen, but he can't because the, the the wheelchair doesn't fit. He sees that the only way out is that way. So he goes by when he hears Annie, he stumbles into the table, and there's kind of like a lot of ceramic figurines. So he drops a penguin, but he saves it before he breaks it and puts it in a different position that it was he was before and the camera heavily focuses on this and you know thing that i didn't knew when i saw this on hbo max barry sonnenfeld was the cinematographer for this movie the director of adam's family and men in black wait holy crap yeah it was barry sonnenfeld yeah because he was known as a cinematographer for many (laughs) many years before he started directing and Mm -hmm. Yeah, great cinematography as well. You really get a feel of just the uh, geography 
as well. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, what comes to mind for me is Prisoner of Azkaban, how you go to certain locations mm-hmm. multiple times to really understand the layout, and you get that for the house and parts of the town as well. And while this is happening, uh, the uh, Sheriff Buster is just figuring out everything. His wife is the deputy as well. And they have some little cute jokes within both of them. Yeah. In this car, you're my deputy, not my wife, because she obviously wants it. And she's just like, well, I'd rather be in bed with the sheriff. And then he's like, oh, okay, look at this branch. They're like, mm-hmm. it could be the storm. But he's like, yeah, could be. Mm-hmm. But he he's a good cop because he trusts his gut. He knows that something is up. Because he figures, why hasn't like a body turned up yet? Mm-hmm. He's piecing it all together. He's like, something's up. And then he does the thing from In the Matter of Madness. He gets all of the novels and he reads all of them to see if he can find a clue. And he calls his attention a really particular quote from one of the Misery novels. It was like, a, a man cannot judge me. I will, only, why, only him can judge me. And I was like, uh, especially the way that she, that misery says it. And, and then even he says like, uh, even the wife was like, uh, why are you so focused on that quote? I don't know. It's like, it's so weird that misery is right now on a trial and he's reading misery's trial. And I'm like, what happened in this telenovela at this point? But <laughs> then he gets so. Oh, um, don't forget about the medicine cabinet. The medicine cabinet. He, he takes notices. a shit ton of uh, painkillers. Mm-hmm. And so he noticed sort of the painkillers, but also he notices that there's a red book next to the shrine of hips. So the next time that he goes out, he's reading that technically exposition kind of a like scrapbook that Annie was involved in a lot of really small crimes because it doesn't give you the full clue, but you as an artist, you can figure it out because one of the one in one, one says, a nurse student just died. And then the next following note, Annie Wilkes is a top, stu- top student with honors. Or the next one, the per- the person uh, the person in charge of maternity ward just died. And then Annie Wilkes, the head of maternity wards. It's what you call subtlety, and it's <laughs> uh, great visual <laughs> filmmaking as well. Because it doesn't bash over the head, and it treats it. The thing I love about this movie is that it treats its audience like, smart people mm-hmm. it doesn't dumb down anything and a lot of the stuff is you make up your mind but some things are clear and it's mm-hmm. very very clear that annie wilkes is mentally unstable and insane and it's just awesome and uh, then there's uh then there's the fight with uh about the book because she's just like nope this isn't right you gotta do it over again and he's just like what the fuck and then she's just like, well, this is like when I was growing up in Bakersfield and watching the chapter plays. Ah, yes, the serials, Steve. The serials. And she's just like, don't you think I know that? Oh, yeah, another thing in the new book was the swearing. Mm-hmm. She's just like, no, nope, I don't like that. She was no. very much a conservative uh, person. Not only that, but I also like the thing that she said. I went on Saturday on Saturday afternoons to watch those serials about a man called Radio radio man and then he was trapped in a car and then the car went to a ditch so that was a cliffhanger and then i went next to her i was the first in line and then i saw the next episode and then they revealed us that he got out of the car and everybody was applauding and cheating i said bullshit that was not how the last episode ended and i'm like annie's calling for plot holes like a lot of fans do and all the right those like, are you fucking me are you fucking kidding me? You're fucking stupid people. She and doesn't like, say that, but she's just like, he didn't get out of the cock-a-doody car. Well, I don't think the... this movie supposedly are, but it's not that... It's only because of the foot scene, though, but most of the dialogue is pretty 13. Oh, definitely. And yeah. I I appreciate it for that. And also, but, I mean, like, no, there are some moments where it's just like they do drop a few... They don't swear much. When they do, it's during intense scenes. But also because of the series of the cliffhangers and George Lucas, like it's like poetry or rhymes. Yeah. Oh, um, <laughs> the authorities find the uh the '65 Mustang, which is a really sweet car, mm-hmm. um, by the tree buried in the snow, 
and then Paul rewrites the manuscript and she seems happy with it. And he's just like, oh, uh, we should I have a that, dinner to celebrate. I love how the, the reason why Misery is alive. Because the argument first was like, you cannot bring Misery back all of a sudden. You have to start it with the ending in the previous novel. Misery was buried. So you have to start over. So when, when Paul does it again, I cannot believe that you reveal that Misery was done by a bee. And she has a rare bee disease. That's why Misery was buried alive. And because of a great digger that had this thought of this lady from 30 years in the past that have the same beast thing. So you're going to reveal that this lady is Misery's secret mother. and Paul Also, like the, a, the grave digger named after her. Thank you yeah, for the that. Yeah, the great, great, great digger Wilkes. It was like a, and I love Paul's like, you have to find out. Because technically, Paul is also playing with her because she's reading chapter by chapter. And technically, Paul is doing, and he's technically being the, the focus group and the executives at the same time because she's also controlling the story. And not only so, that, she thinks that she's winning him over with Stockholm Syndrome and uh -huh. is becoming complacent and just giving mm -hmm. up his will to leave. But and are so, we sure about that? Also, he saves the painkiller powder. He's saving up a ton of it. Yeah, and so technically, she's also giving him notes. And so she's also using her notes against her because she's getting more trapping the new novel because he has a cliffhanger in every chapter. That also goes back to that joke from earlier. Yeah, he's also just trying to buy time mm -hmm. because he knows that eventually she's just going to be dissatisfied one way or the other and hurt him and or is, and possibly kill him. At this point, I said Annie's in fan fiction mode because now she's controlling the story, making the story that she wants, not the story that the author wants. Because she even says, I had a feeling since the first novel that Misery was part of, no of a noble family. Yeah, oh, this is Victorian romance. So it's basically like, hey, what if somebody that liked Bridgerton kidnapped the author, broke their legs, and mm -hmm. just forced them to write whatever? That's basically what it, it, <laughs> this is. And again, I feel like Stephen King just had this nightmare, and he's just like, all right, this is a great story. I'm going to write <laughs> this down. And yeah. thank you. God for your imagination, Stephen. Yeah, especially because I love it. like uh, she's like, uh, oh, will will Mister remember Ian? Oh, she oh she has amnesia. And Paul was like, uh, you 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 had to come back to see. I was like, I it's always the uh, middle aged uh, white women as well <laughs> that love these stories, and, and I love that. Um, so they the make the dinner, <laughs> and. He's just like, oh, let's make a toast to Misery's return. Uh, but do you have any candles? And she's looking. And while she's looking, he puts the painkiller. He drugs the wine. But of course, Annie being Annie. Oh, uh, I dropped the drink. Which makes you think, did she know about that? Because she's smart enough to know his routine. Do you think that being a nurse, she would also know how many painkillers that she would have? And that also, she was just sort of know, like, oh, I accidentally did this. That because after this, we know that Annie pays attention to a lot of details. Not only because she's a fan of books, she likes extremely stuff details about her house. And so that's something know. that's great about this character is mm -hmm. that she is very smart. She's mm -hmm. insane, but she's also not irrational. And she's not crazy for the sake of being crazy. She's... Mm -hmm competent and the smart people that have a hold of themselves like that they're usually the scariest because a lot of serial killers are like that she's kind of like hannibal lecter or norman bates mm -hmm. this, it's it's very reminiscent of psycho at points there's a car that um wrecks somebody's trap there's somebody that seems nice on the surface and is very generous but you know that there's just something off Mm -hmm. and also a scene with stairs mm -hmm. like the annie wilkes house is i mean it's not like up on the hill like the bates home Mother. and there's no hotels <laughs> there's no weird uh oedipus complex with the, uh, the mother but mm -hmm. it's very similar you know because norman bates was also very smart mm -hmm. 
And that's another one of the greatest performances ever. Uh, Anthony Perkins in the original Psycho. Yes. It's just a great uh, character type for actors and actresses to do. And then we got into a montage of like uh, Paul is still writing and writing and writing. And he gets all the way to chapter 35 of the Misery Returns novel. And also we noticed that he's practicing doing weights with the typewriter because you know children typewriters especially metal metal they weighed more than 20 pounds those were oh my gosh pounds. they are heavy my father had one of those when i was a kid i remember and uh, that's the other thing is he's doing that so he can get used to the weight <laughs> so it's not like oh i'm just dragging it with me <laughs> he's using his time well <laughs> so paul's pretty smart as well it's it's a good cat and mouse game yes and then um then we, we get, get a pretty sad moment with uh the rain mm-hmm, i think the rain moment yeah because yeah. she's like uh you never paul you will never know the fear of losing someone like you it's because you never hey you can never be someone like me and then paul is like well when i leave i like it here and annie shows up that she has a gun in her pocket sometimes i think about us maybe using it i better go I'm going to maybe put bullets in it. And we noticed that there's already a ticking time bomb because it also shows that Annie, in her insane moments, she also has kind of like a one of those suicidal cultish kind of behaviors in this part of the last part of the movie because she wants both of them to die in a Romeo and Juliet kind of style of way. Oh my gosh. And then she's also firing the guns Mm -hmm. as well. But it's a nice quiet moment. And just a detail that I should mention, it's not really important to the plot, but mm-hmm. he missed his daughter's birthday, and we know that he didn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, he was on his way back to celebrate his daughter's birthday, which mm-hmm. that's cool. And now we don't see his kids or anything. It's really four characters in this movie. Oh, yes, the sheriff also does do a... Uh, fly by to look for anybody that um would have paul and he knows that somebody probably took him mm-hmm. he, he thinks it's an abduction and the helicopter pilot is actually played by rob reiner himself oh, yeah uncredited nice. cameo but that's pretty cool and we get a nice aerial shot and then he's like passes he passes the wilkes home and he's like, oh, no, there's no 65 Mustang or anything like that there. But he just has this gut feeling mm-hmm. that something's up with Annie because he sees her down, uh, in town. She has a, just recklessly driving, a lot of road rage, doing that, uh, you know, you're a duty and stuff like that. <laughs> One of those people. It's it's hilarious. Mm-hmm. I'm I think of. Uh, um the secretary from ferris bueller oh they think he's a righteous dude you know that lady she could have probably done this but i i really can't imagine anybody but kathy bates she really was fucking unbelievable Mm -hmm. and so after when she comes back the sheriff notices that about her and so he goes to the library he finds all of those paper clippings in the library and so he oh yeah and in this from misery so it's revealed also in the scrapbook that she keeps, which why, for such a smart person, why would you leave evidence right crimes. there? Mm-hmm. That's also the bitter irony is that, I mean, we know it's for the plot, but that also. I think also, she did it for pride too as well, though, because she, she's pretty proudful. Of yeah, and she does. I kind of get that because she's, she's alone, really. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have anybody, so she wouldn't really need any reason to do that mm-hmm. and it's revealed through these scraps uh these newspaper clippings that she killed her father she yes. killed her roommate and she killed numerous patients in the hospital mm-hmm. and he ends up going to the kitchen and he it's grabs knife. the butcher knife yeah mm-hmm. and he's hiding all the painkillers also underneath the bed he made a little stitching in there so she wouldn't notice that and he like wakes up and she sedates him mm-hmm. and because she noticed the penguin yes she said 
Oh, no, no. This is when we get the scene. Yeah, because that's how it starts. It was like, yeah, I she goes. I know that you came out of the room two different times. And I know this because my ceramic paint faces to the north. And when I came back, it was facing to the south. It was like, uh, how can I, how can you know that? I was like, it's okay, Paul. I know that you need more time to get fixed. You know, there was a time where in miners that stole diamonds. They always wanted to find a way for those miners to never run away. And as she's doing this, she's just putting a block of wood in between his ankles. Mm -hmm. And he's just like, and he is slowly realizing, uh uh-oh, she's going to break my legs. He's so, so strapped. Like, uh, what was the name of that thing from Jack Black and from the movie from the 30s? Like in uh, that giant thing of those little people strapping them into like the sand. Oh, Gulliver's Travels. Thank you, like Gulliver's travel style, he's so strapped into the bed, he cannot move at all, not even his arms. And as he and he's putting the thing on the 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 the, the part of wood between his legs, so I was like, uh, uh, he's like, please, honey, don't do this. Then he, she's like, I'm sorry, Paul. And she grabs this fucking biggest sledgehammer. Sled, sledgehammer. My God, the way that you hear that. Oh, you see it the first time, it breaks like Mm -hmm. a piece of celery. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah, James Conn obviously screams in pain, as anybody would. And then she's just like, it's almost over. Boom, the sound design. I'm like, I texted Raul. I was like, I can't watch this, man. Like, it was hard even hearing it. And And she just goes, God, I love you. (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, Is that's why this moment is celebrated in cinema history. It's not only because of the sound design, it's not only because of the story moment, it's because of the acting. It's always oh, a perfect scene. It's a brilliant scene. And it's also like the pain of James Khan's character that he has no way out, that he has tried everything. Yeah, you feel as hopeless as he does. Also because Annie found the knife. Yeah, she's just like looking for this. Mm-hmm. You think I don't know these things, Paul? But I yeah. do. And then the sheriff goes to the uh, the local store. It was like, hey, has anyone has bought a lot of the Paul Sheldon books? I was like, well, recently Annie Annie Wilkes she always buys the first copy of the newest novels. Make sure like, to get the first copy first. And it was like, has she bought anything odd lately? Well. She did kind of buy some really specific kind of paper. What kind of paper? Typewriting kind of paper. He's like, ah, interesting. And then he, the sherry goes away. And then she she starts to like, uh, she notices Paul is already like in so much pain after what happened that he notices that the sheriff is coming. And so Annie draws him again with another syringe and draws him off in one of the attics. That's how you call it? Yeah, yeah it, it, it puts him in the attic. It puts him in the attic. Or no, 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 in the, in the basement, because the attic is up in the on basement, the top. Sorry, in, the, in the basement? In the basement, yeah. And yeah. then the sheriff comes around, and then this is the very psycho-esque scene, mm-hmm. because uh, he's just like, oh, I'm just wondering if you... Uh, do you know anything about Paul Sheldon? She's just like, well, he's uh, the only child of these of his parents and mm-hmm. all this, and then he's just like... that. That's not exactly what I meant. He's a but... mediocre student. He only graduated high school. And I'm like, how can the fuck you know that? Oh, <laughs> She's like Nardwar. Uh, mm-hmm. You're Paul Sheldon. We have to know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the sheriff's just like, hey, just mind if I take a look around? Very standard stuff. She's just mm-hmm. like, yeah, sure, sure. Go on ahead. And, and then it's wait. the te- scene. It's stretched out because you don't know wait, uh, if he's going to where it's going because you want paul to wake up and make a noise just to blow the whistle and we get a couple close calls as well i love how annie she's like uh, after i heard what happened in the accident god told me that i would need it to take his place so i got a typewriter and the specific paper that he likes and i wanted to continue misery's uh, misery story taking taking the place of an author fan fiction and all of that stuff that we know about now about fandom. I was like, wow, Annie. But the thing, Annie, because she's so smart, 
she's using everything that has happened to using in her favor for the sheriff not to think of her. And she's using her mild-mannered, you know, homely behavior mm -hmm. to her advantage. It's great manipulation. Yeah. So he technically she offers Coco and she goes to make it. And so the sheriff is going around snooping. But then he finds, he gets out of the house. But then he hears that Paul would wake up and he stumbled to one of the grills that he would have next to him. So he goes around and Annie's still in the kitchen. He finds a secret room for the to enter the, um, the basement. And he sees Paul. It was like, oh my God, Paul Sheldon. And the sheriff gets his chest blown out by a, by a shotgun. He gets a hole right in the center <laughs> of his chest because Annie shoots him right in the chest. And I think of the family guy where uh, uh, Stewie shoots Joe, who's the sheriff, in both of his legs, which that was the recurring joke for that episode is that any character Joe plays, his legs, <laughs> um, he becomes out. paralyzed <laughs> and they really abuse his legs, which is ironic in a story like Misery. Yeah, and, and so, and Annie says, don't feel bad, Paul. It was bound to happen. Yeah, and then he is finishing up the book and he's just like, I want three things. I want a cigarette, matches and some Don Perignon. Mm -hmm. The fact that he was able to find some Don Perignon in a local town is mm -hmm. ridiculous, but whatever. Yeah, but also it's a very, Don Perignon is a very expensive drink. Mm -hmm. But also, also for those says, that don't know. He says, but we cannot go right now. You don't want us to leave this world without giving mystery back to the world. Don't you say, like, Oh Paul, you think so brightly. I was like, yeah, go and finish the novel. And then, when she brings the things, Paul has the novel in the floor, and he already. Oh yeah, because him. when she brings him back from the basement, he uh, gets a a a, a can of full of uh, lighter fluid or mm -hmm. kerosene, and he mm -hmm. sticks it uh, behind him. The fact that she didn't notice that was also funny, but mm -hmm. then he gets the manuscript for it. And he douses it in there and the, the lighter he, fluid. I love how he threatens her. It was like a, was oh, like, yeah. Oh. And he's just like, um, you did make one mistake, though. And that was get two glasses. Mm -hmm. And then when she brings out the second glass, I was like, what are you doing? I was like, remember for 30 years, I had never revealed Misery's father. It's all right here. And also in this page is who, who, who Misery's going to end up with, with Ian or Winthorne. And, and then Mr. and then and he's like, no, don't do it. And then I was like, uh, and then he drops the light. I was like, why you do this? I don't know. Oh, the match. Yeah. yeah. He, he drops the match, and I was like, why are you doing this? And she, and he pulls like, I learned it from you. To shape, bitch. I learned it from watching you. And then of course she's just like, oh, I'll kill you. And then we get an epic fight with a lot of cuts. And every, they both beat the shit out of each other. <laughs> and then she... I uh, love the move that Paul does, that he grabs the ashes of the of the manuscript. He was like, you want this story so much? I'm going to shove it in your mouth. It was like, eat it, you crazy fuck. <laughs> and then yeah. uh, she falls down, ends up hitting her head on the typewriter. But also she goes so, because, because he did hit her on the head once with the mm -hmm. typewriter. Yes. So that's twice she got hit on the head. And then it's like, oh, it's over. But of course, this is the part where the supposedly dead killer comes back for one last scare. Rah! But then everybody <laughs> grabs. I think it's like a like an iron sort of thing, and then bashes her in the head as well. You can it's also a, see the bones. It's a, it's a recreate. It's technically the misery pick in iron. So the irony that she died by her own. The family, irony. The irony she died by her own fanatism. Yeah, and you can also see the bones like, like dislocated and all that stuff in her head. Like you can see her, it's it's a lot of internal bleeding and stuff. And then she just dies right on top of him, and he's just like, ah. <laughs> I also forgot the scene where he um, um, gets out of the wheelchair and he's dragging himself. Mm -hmm. That was uh, that was during the first time she went out of town. Yeah. I just wanted to point out some iconography from this movie because mm -hmm. this movie is very iconic mm -hmm. especially for stephen king 
And then it's like, ooh, cuts to black. Because obviously they're going to come and investigate mm-hmm. um, the sheriff. So he knows it's only a matter of time. And he's just like, all right. And then it cuts to 18 months later. He is seen in a restaurant with his agent. And we see that he's walking with a cane. In the novel, he walks with a prosthetic leg because his leg got so messed up that he had to get it replaced. But then he's just like, I'm not going to write a book about my old cabin experience. I would think it's a very traumatic thing for him. And he's just like, we're not going to do it for a few bucks. And she's just like, oh, this new book, we're getting a... Getting really good reviews right now, and he's just like, I just hope people like it. I didn't but do that's it for the reviews, I only did it for myself. Yeah, he said, I did it for me, Skylar. And then he sees it was like, uh, at least I don't want to write about her and what happened because even that she's dead, I see her many times. And we see that Annie comes with a cake, and he's not, but it's cake. not Annie, it's just somebody else. And she just goes, Excuse me, are you Paul Sheldon? I'm your number one fan, and he just meekly just goes, "Oh, that's that's nice," <laughs> <laughs> or, he, or he just goes, "Oh, that's very sweet of you." And then it just cuts to black, and of course, it's uh, plays some nice. I like to call it lounge music. Mm-hmm. That happens in a lot of Rob Reiner stuff, yeah. and that is the movie that was Misery, and it is very appropriately titled. Yeah. Um, Any other thoughts? This movie is fucking amazing. Like, it's an it's a beautiful thriller. It's a movie that keeps you on the edge. It's surprisingly funny. It's surprisingly scary. It's not about you know that there's a lot of movies that they always rely on their iconography only for one iconic scene, but this movie has a lot of iconography. It's one of those movies, like in The Godfather. You could talk about uh, you could talk about ten differences on the Godfather. That will still not not be enough. And so, I also I love about the thing that we brought up about how Annie she's so possessive. She wants to be the author. She wants to be better than the author because she loves the author so much that she believes that she can be anything and she can control the author because she has it at her will. And. It is kind of like the most crazy situation. I think that would be the fear of a read movie director, TV writer, or book writer of today too as well. Like, what would happen if you get into a mystery kind of situation? And also because of today, Twitter technically gives some some mystery to some of these people today on how they get bullied about certain actors or certain directors or how they react to their creations. But... I love that Stephen King was giving some nuts of, of it, so sprinkles that is still... Well, yeah, because this book was made because one of his books, The Eyes of the Dragon, which is real, it's a fantasy book. Mm-hmm. A lot of his fans did not like it mm-hmm. because horror was the thing that made his reputation, right? Mm-hmm. And he, Paul Sheldon feeling chained to the misery books, mm-hmm. it's a metaphor for uh, Stephen King feeling chained to the horror because he wrote other yeah. books too you know he's an author he can write whatever the fuck he wants yeah, and, so like Wes Craven that remember he wanted to do romantic comedies and romantic dramas and he was always stuck with horror it's that thing of being typecasted mm-hmm. some people embrace the typecast because it's good business like what Lauren Bacall tells Paul is just like oh you should just do this because this is good business it's providing for your life and then they're most people don't like that because they want to show that hey I want to do something different yeah. stuff because you if you do the same thing over and over and over again you're gonna get not only bored but you're gonna grow bitter about it mm-hmm. i mean that's the whole point of like actors authors and stuff that they want to show their range mm-hmm. and a lot of times they can do it but they're just never given that opportunity because they're typecast and pigeonholed into this one specific thing mm-hmm. so i really like that and it's just yeah it's a really really good movie I'm really surprised we just don't do a Rob Reiner month of his like biggest movies. We could do North, which that is uh, the yes! big plot on his filmography that sh- on paper it should have worked, but for mm-hmm. some reason it ended up being the worst thing in his career. And that's saying a lot. Um, but yeah, Misery, it's all downhill from here because you know what? I want to give Misery a 10 out of 10. 
I think I can really think of I can think of some nitpicks like some things like the pig never comes back. Like what happened to the pig? It's like in Whiplash. What happened to the folder? Seriously, what happened to that folder? Nobody knows. (laughs) Nobody cares. And it doesn't matter because this is just a well directed, acted, some nearly flawless script. It's just a really good movie. And there's a reason why people love it. And there's a reason why this made Kathy Bates career. Mm Like, this was the thing that put her on the map and solidified her as just just awesome. And that's why Ryan Murphy used her a lot in the American Horror Story stuff. And I would say utilized very well. And I told Billy that they got three Kathy Bates best roles for myself is her in Misery, her as the mother of, of the water boy. Foosball! Ball, and also heard in American Horror Story Coven as the racist witch. Yeah, because Kathy Bates is a uh, portly southern woman. Mm-hmm. So it's funny her playing like somebody that's like, you know, f- I like to call it the Fargo talk where mm-hmm. it's like the oh, you betcha sort of thing. And knowing that she's very southern, she's I think she's from Louisiana. Mm. Um it's it's testament. She's a she's great. Definitely deserve that best actress Oscar as well. This is also rare because uh, this is a technically a horror movie that has Academy recognition. That yep. rarely happens. I don't think it'll ever happen again. But I think it's only like this one in Silence of the Lambs. Well, Exorcist as well. Yes, the Exorcist too. But it's it's very rare that you get like horrors or thrillers that are that get Academy recognition. It's always the dramas or the biopics. I mean, it's very unfair that there is a very clear bias. It's always dramas and stuff like that. Or like the inspirational Oscar movie. You never also, it's also rare for comedies. Mm-hmm. I mean, they do, they do exist. Some comedies have won Oscars, but it's incredibly rare. I don't think it's ever going to happen again, unfortunately. I think the only latest horror movie that won an Oscar is technically Get Out that was for Best Original Screenplay, like, what was it, like, three, four years ago? Yeah, just about. Mm-hmm. And it's very sad because horror has had a resurgence. Mm-hmm. Like, it has been crushing it for a while because there was a period where it was nothing but remakes, and they were not good. And people were they, like horror is dead horror fans were very much they were mm-hmm. pissed the 2000s was when when horror was dead it i was think so- it was when blumhouse got introduced mm-hmm. really because that was the big thing where they introduced a movie with like a very small budget so it's going to make its money back either way and then they just started putting out hit after hit after hit and you know what i'm gonna say it as well a24 yeah, I know it's not your cup of tea, which I know. we could talk about some A24 movies on here, which that would be interesting conversations. But it's very important to the film industry. It's all these yeah, smaller is. studios that somehow survived not being monopolized and are just making their they're staying in their lane and they're doing great stuff. And if it weren't for A24 and Blumhouse, we wouldn't have a technically uh, one of the best horror years this year. Oh my gosh, yeah. 2022 in general has been an unbelievable year for horror. Smile is one of the best horror movies I have seen this year of so many horror movies that has happened this year. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put the black phone as well. Mm-hmm. Maybe not as black good as um, Sinister, but mm-hmm. I would say it surprised me. And yeah, uh, we're, we're going to have anything but misery here for <laughs> Stephen King month. And until then, our next oh, episode is Ooh, this is going to be... We went from the highly critically acclaimed to one of the craziest movies. And it's either you love it or you hate it. It's ending. I never forgot the ending. Oh, I know. Uh, the Mist. Oh, I love that ending. We're not going to spoil that. Yeah. And you, don't you dare spoil it at the beginning of the episode. We are going to leave that for the ending. It's but this so it's one of his movie. most talked about movies. <laughs> and we're going to talk about the good and the very bad. So oh, yeah. until then, 
Where can the good people find you? You can find me as always at RobertRDC on Twitter, Instagram, and on Letterboxd, and on TikTok at RobertRDC. Please follow the podcast on SYNS pod on Twitter. Please give us a nice reviews on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and the other ones in Jubilee. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at MasterofPuns196. Every word starts with a capital letter. Oh, you can also follow me on Letterboxd by the same name. And you can also follow me on Instagram at Lightning. Nothing is capitalized. And once again, you can follow our main show Twitter at SYNSPod. Um, and give us a five-star and just write a review on Apple Podcasts as well as just Google, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, Anchor, wherever podcasts you listen to. And as always... See you next summer. I'm your number one fan. Dun, 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 dun.